Bitcoin Roundtable. Random musings and interviews about Bitcoin. Well, good evening. Welcome back, everybody. Vince here with Darren and Libby is somewhere. And this is episode 73. All right, 73. Well, um, we'd like to apologize. We took a little bit of a break there in the summertime. We apologize for our absence, and uh, we're hoping to get back on track here very, very soon. So, Darren, what's been uh, what's been happening with uh, Bitcoin the last couple of weeks? Well, you know, as you know, it kind of broke out of the uh, the low there uh, that it's been stuck in for months and months and months at around what 3,500 US, right? Uh, you know, I started gradually rising. I think in April, uh, and then kind of went a bit parabolic on us. <laughs> uh, you know, probably into the end of June, where I think it peaked out around thir- thirteen thousand, maybe a little more. Right. Yeah. Uh, it was quite a rise. Yeah. It caught a lot of people off guard. I think, which is kind of what it usually does when it goes up like that. Yes. And. Um, yeah, and now it's come come back down off the highs for a bit of, uh, I guess, through the most of the July month, and I think it's sitting right now at about 9,500. It broke under 10,000. You know, volume's pretty good right now. Depending on what you believe in, you can always find someone out there that's going to tell you it's going to do what you want it to do. <laughs> right after doing a lot of reading about different scenarios. My general feeling is it might pop up a bit and then go back. It might bottom out in the uh, the mid-8s, 8,500 or something like that. Now other people are saying it'll go lower. Other people saying it won't go under 9. Well, you believe, in your opinion, it's going to go down again. There's a couple general guidelines I look at. They're not super accurate in the short term, but over the long term, they seem to be fairly accurate. And one thing I look at is just the quantity of Bitcoin people are going long versus the quantity of Bitcoin bets that people are going short. Okay. And it's a kind of a contrarian indicator in my opinion. If let's say there's $400 million in bets from people that think Bitcoin's gonna rise. Right. And there's only like 100 or 50 million in bets from people that think it's gonna go down. That tells me it's probably gonna go down. Generally, whatever the the large crowd is betting. The opposite it, happens. The opposite happens. <laughs> okay. And, you know, when it, once you understand how the system works, it becomes more simple. Right. Say Bitcoin's at 9,000 and I decide to bet 1,000 bucks that it's gonna go up. Okay. Usually it's leverage. So say I have 50 bucks, but I, you know, I'm gonna leverage my bet and put a thousand bucks on it. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens if Bitcoin goes down to 88.50, right? Mm-hmm. It's going below 9,000. And because I'm playing a leverage bet, I basically lose all my money. And what happens when the trade goes against you, if I'm betting long, you know, that basically means I have to sell my position. And what happens is when the price starts going down and you're forced to sell, you have to sell at whatever rate you can get, which means you can't wait. You just sell. Right. And so imagine a hundred million being bet long and all of a sudden it goes against you mm-hmm. and you're forced to sell your position. And it all happens in a flash. 
So you sell, and then all of a sudden, everyone has a number, right? And if it goes below the number, you basically tell the exchange that you're you're selling at market usually, which means you sell it instantly, whatever price someone's bidding. You know, imagine a hundred billion dollars worth of Bitcoin trade sells just going through within a five minute period, and, and it just spikes the price down. So Bitcoin very much acting like any other stock would, as well, far as that's of, concerned. Uh, to some degree, except Bitcoin. There's not much out there, so the liquidity's low. Right. And when liquidity's low, you get larger price movements. Okay. And that's why it pops up and down so quickly sometimes, because there's usually a lot of people in, in the background that have these highly leveraged bets. I mean, I think you can go on Bitfinex and uh, you get 100 to 1 leverage. So if you throw down 100 bucks, you know, you know, you can play, well... 100 times 100, right? Yeah, 10,000. Yeah, so, you know, you can do it. I mean, professional traders would consider that kind of a dumb move um, because of the fact that when you're playing such high leverage, as as an example, if I'm highly leveraged and I bet that Bitcoin's going to drop and it's at 9,000, maybe I'd make a million bucks if Bitcoin goes down to 7,000. Right. Right. But if it goes up to 9,050, I get wiped out. You're done. Right? So that's high, high leverage means, you know, you're easily wiped out. You have the chance to make a huge amount of money. A lot of institutions know this data, but the data is published. They get reports saying, oh, yeah, there's 500 million in shorts and only 100 million in longs. Big money whale guy is going to go, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to push the price up to kill all the shorts. And, and that's what they do. They push it up and down to wipe out, you know, the speculators. And that's why you see these massive movements. But mm. So generally speaking, if the longs and shorts are kind of matched and even, yeah, you don't get that kind of action. The, when there's a lot of shorts and compared to the, the amount of longs, generally speaking, in most cases, the, the price of Bitcoin will rise. Right. If you see a lot of longs compared to the, uh, the amount of shorts... That means everybody's optimistic, thinking Bitcoin's going to go up, and they make it go down. Right, okay. It shot up pretty high there for a while, you know, maxing out at somewhere around 13. Yeah. Did you think it was going to go higher? At the time, I was kind of open, you know, but um, things always make a lot more sense in hindsight, right? Of course, yes. Basically, you're looking at a cryptocurrency that went from 3,500 up to... 13,000 in value, right? Which is... Um, in a fairly short period of time. Yeah. It makes sense that it would correct. You kind of get the idea when people get over-optimistic and exuberant, that's generally a flag. <laughs> people were optimistic and exuberant in 2017, right? When it went up to uh, seven, 8,000. Right, December there, yeah. But it kept going to 20. The question is, nobody really knows when it where it stops, and comes back down to correct. Right. Based on what I've heard out in the crypto sphere mm-hmm. and the news and such, that uh, most of this rally was institutional. Not a lot of, not a lot of FOMO happening. Okay. Um, there's some speculation that you know most of the price rise to thirteen thousand was from just a couple of large institutions. Generally speaking, the futures market is when. People with a lot of money make bets on what price 
an asset is going to be at a specific time on a specific day. That's the futures market. Educated guessing? <laughs> well, not necessarily educated, but you know, uh, <laughs> you know, these these bets are often made by people with a massive amount of money. Right. And they actually make the price go to where they want it. You know, apparently the sweet spot for the futures market was 12,000. I think late June or something like that. I think it's the third Friday every month or something. But anyways, you know, some people basically said, you know, quite a couple months before saying, oh, yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to hit 12,000 because that's the sweet spot for the futures market. And sure enough, that's what it did. That's what it did. You know, it's not dogma or like a certainty that that's going to happen. But, you know, in most cases, it usually winds up being tr- the truth right you know because bitcoin is for an institution you know say you have i don't know a couple hundred billion to play with right and then you make a 500 million dollar futures bet so okay say bitcoin's uh you know was at 2000 and you're like oh you know i'm gonna bet it's at 10,000, and you just keep buying bitcoin until you get to 10,000. right because compared to the total market cap of the coin I mean, it's kind of deceiving, but most Bitcoin is, you know, held by holders or large whales. Yes. And, uh, you know, if you want to manipulate the price of Bitcoin in the short term, if you have enough resources, which, you know, few people have, but some do. You can do it. You can do it. Right. So some people say, you know, it swung to 12 because, uh, you know, an institution wanted it to. Mm. Uh, Okay, I see. Now... You know, there's been gaps and it went up high. And, you know, there's also the side of uh, technical analysis on charts. A lot of people say it's crap, but some people say it isn't. And really what happens with tech- technical analysis is if enough people believe in it, right? then, then it's true, right? <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. Because that's how they make their, that's you know, how if you're trading it. If you're trading Bitcoin, and okay, you... This technical analysis says for sure, okay, Bitcoin is definitely topped out at 13,000 and now it's going to go down to probably 10. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, a thousand people start selling their Bitcoin at 13,000. So it's, it becomes, in many ways, a self fulfilling prophecy, this technical analysis and charts and such. You know, you can believe it or not. The question is how many actually believe that are trading Bitcoin? To some degree, it, in hindsight, some of the technical analysis is, is spot on. A lot of it isn't. Hmm. And the other thing about technical analysis is it's not a simple science in many ways. You can give five different analysts the same chart. They can come up with five different <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of the higher level ones, you know, they're much more consistent. If you're kind of new to the game, you just, you know, oh, this looks like a double triangle, blah, 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 or a couple and handle, or a a bat signal and it's all up to interpretation and it, it's just difficult to tell hmm. right so there's lots of factors in general though you know from more of a macro perspective you could generally say that when things get too optimistic it has to come down there's too much one-sided betting for it to go up it's dropping a pebble at the top of the mountain and then it turns into a landslide as soon as you have a little shake in, in uh, the, a rattle in, in the optimism, and then the whole house of cards falls, and you, right. you, and you get a huge spike down. You know, many people almost argue that you need that to really 
set a proper higher low, like almost like setting a new higher base of operations from which you can start to go up. So get the market to calm down and then restart it again? Yeah, shake out the weekends, yep. you know, that kind of thing. And then when less people think it's going to go up, that's when it goes up. Right. So there's a general feeling that even though it's at 90-something right now, it might go up to 11 or 10 or 12 and then pop back down to, you know, in the 8s just, mm-hmm. just to totally depress the hell out of everybody. <laughs> you know, and then maybe, yeah. maybe it'll sit there for months. And, but inevitably from there, it's supply and demand. It just starts to go up. And, and at that point, you might see it start to go up and not stop until maybe next July or next November when it peaks out at like 80,000 or something. Right. Eight, you know. Ooh. Wow. Okay. You know, I don't know. I mean, there's been some realistic estimates I've read that have actually predicted a $9,000 Bitcoin in July when this was like a couple of months back. Right. And, so uh, this sounds like they've been kind of spot on as to right now and then where are they going with and it? And they predicted a 15,000 in October. Okay. I think 56,000 next July. Wow. Which is after the halvening. Don't forget the halvening yep. hits May or June of 2020. Mm-hmm. So that prediction, I don't know, it seemed interesting. Sure, and yeah. Then he, then his prediction, his final one was next October would be around 87. Oh. How many days away are we from the halvening? Probably, yeah, close to a year. Close to a year. Right? So once the halvening hits, the amount of new coins that are generated by mining are cut in half. Cut in half, right. So instead of, oh, what was it a day? 1,500 a day or something. Okay. You know, it's half of that. Half of that, right. I was reading this week that uh, Richmond, town of Richmond Hill, near Toronto is accepting Bitcoin for uh, taxes. Yeah. I mean, what it's coming down to is uh, despite what you hear from a lot of different paid articles or from politicians about, you know, cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin to be more specific, it's, you know, it's usually negative because a lot of the media is actually paid, you know, media People want to hate on it. And most money out there wants to basically pay the media to say negative things about Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. You know, when you look past it and you start looking at decisions like that, where Richmond Hill decides that, you know, they'll accept Bitcoin for tax payments now. They're not the first one. No, I think there's a couple. Those little things are really the guideposts in the journey, you know, towards total adoption. Right. Because they're actually doing it, you know. Well, it's a good thing. It's like, well, just, sure. despite all the crap you hear about Bitcoin, they're like, well, you know, they obviously know, as we do, that the younger generation, millennials, are very cryptocurrency friendly. Yeah. You know, and as Tom Lee said in one of his uh, presentations, you know, the millenn- 80% of the millennial generation want to invest in cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. Sure, stocks and equities, but basically, you know, they want cryptocurrencies in those stocks and cryptocurrency companies. And they are just getting into their um, investment years. They want larger portions of their portfolio to be in cryptos, right? Well, not, you know, I'm I'm just saying, like, uh, 
you know, equities were huge with the boomer generation, mm-hmm. right? And uh, the millennials who are just coming into their investing years, they want to invest in crypto. Right. So that's why you see, um, you know, TD is running a, a Bitcoin fund, right? So it's basically you put money in an ETF. So it's all financially legit mm-hmm. and, you know, yada, yada, all your T's are crossed and I's are dotted. Yet the performance of the ETF is directly tied to the value of the underlying cryptocurrencies, which they have invested in. Okay. So all right. it's basically like investing in crypto sure. only through a legitimate fund or, you, yes. know, der- you know, derivative product instead of the actual crypto. Yeah, and you know, that's trillions of dollars, you know, you're talking about a full generation of investments. The money's coming. <laughs> it's just a matter of As when. is the adoption. Yeah. It's sure it not, is. It's, it's not even a question. Yeah. It's just, you know, how, how long can they delay it? I guess. For sure. So eventually, you know, backed, God, we were talking about backed like a year ago, you know, and, it, and I think that's finally coming around. And the Lightning Network is becoming a bit more... A couple of the wallets are becoming a bit more user-friendly with the Lightning wallets. We're not quite there yet still, mm-hmm. but it's coming, you know, and that's second-layer payments. And I was reading somewhere where, you know, it still won't be enough, and eventually you'll wind up using third-layer payment networks mm. because even the Lightning Network will be too expensive to use. Right. Uh, you know, the first-layer network where you're actually writing directly to the block yep. you know it's become expensive for us mm-hmm. for, to do now because the number of transactions are increasing even though you know with the implementation of SegWit and, and certain new implementations to minimize the amount of data that needs to be written to a block for transaction things like that right you know they're basically trying to cram as much as transaction data as they can into, into a block you know, there's only so much space, so it will get more and more expensive with the, you know, number of transactions increasing. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, maybe a thousand or a couple thousand transactions a block or like, you know, right. that's it. Mm-hmm. So the Lightning Network is definitely a, a needed thing, and and it's interesting. Um, there's been a lot of activity in it, and I'm looking forward to the next year mm. of the new UIs, user interfaces, and options available for utilizing the Lightning Network. And I think, you know, when backed finally goes green and you have the ability to pay for your Starbucks coffee through the Lightning Network in Bitcoin, you know, maybe you're in line and you see someone in front of you and use your cell phone and, and wham, within like two or three seconds, you've paid it with Bitcoin. Right, and it was so fast, and then you know, you, then you talk to them about it, and they tell you, "Oh yeah, well, it actually didn't even cost me a penny." Right. As opposed yeah. to a debit card, maybe debit cards are free for so many transactions a month. Yeah, oh, we know banks aren't free. Yeah. And, and that's the reality. Like I was on Reddit, and people are taking screenshots of some of their Lightning Network transactions. Oh yeah. In general, like they know what they're doing, um, but the costs are very low. Yeah. Like, super cheap, right? Sure. Some of them had zero-cost transactions. Maybe they're running their own node. I don't know. But there's a lot of things to be excited about going forward. Sure. That's great. Track down a couple of Bitcoin thieves. Again, I just I can't recall 
who they are or what they stole from, but you know, they caught a couple guys and you know, they well, ripped off some exchanges and it's, stuff. It's good and for people who are wondering out there, yeah. Did you hear the South Africa story? No. Uh, I can't remember the name of the exchange. Some guy was running a site or exchange or something like that. And he ripped off a whole bunch of people. Okay. So they found his place in South Africa. They burnt down, I think they burnt his Lamborghini or something like that. And they burnt down his house or something. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, you know, people lose money. They get angry. So I guess. I don't know. Holy I mean, smokes. Some of the bad actors... Not many, but some of the bad actors in the Bitcoin game. Some yeah. of the scammers are in jail, and then another guy got his house burnt down, and along with his Lamborghini. So, well, that's a good thing because it takes away that criminal uh, element, their criminal side. Well, it's just it's just nice. Some can be found out. So yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, just continually gets cleaner as the years go by, without the need for extreme government in- intervention. You know, that, that's part of the reason they hate Bitcoin, right? The governments is because the, you know, the FinTrack doesn't really work on Bitcoin. Right. The most they can do is, you know, use KYC, you know, know your customer. So they get all the data when you actually try to buy Bitcoin. It's kind of like using the Tor browser, you know. Sure, if you want to be private on the internet and not be tracked and all this stuff... You know, people people use the Tor browser. Right. But there's also bad people that use the Tor browser for nefarious purposes, right? So it's the same thing for Bitcoin, you know. Like some people just don't want to be tracked by the by anybody and everyone out there, you know, including banks and right. third parties, not just the government, whenever you want to buy Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there are some people out there that actually, you know, They'll do meetups, right? So they'll buy Bitcoin off somebody else in cash in person, right. which has its own risky risk sure. involved there, mind you. But do I care a little bit? Sure. I sign up. I buy it in an exchange because, you know, there's not very many real opportunities or other ways to buy Bitcoin up here in Canada. Right. Did I make your head spin with all that tech talk? No, you didn't make my head spin. I am glad, I'm glad we got it out there. Um, yeah. I'm sure we have listeners out there that uh, think like you on that way, and they'll uh, completely understand. And if you've got anything to add to that, please uh, write into us. Let us know. Darren would be more than happy to sit down and talk techie with you all night. No, 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 no. <laughs> Good Lord. Are you, I mean, I've read some tech stuff online. Some, there's some people out there really deep into the Bitcoin. And the, you know, oh, I sure just get lost are. It. Sure. Do I want to understand it all? Yep. Yeah. Yep. But I got three kids and a job, so... Yeah, not nearly enough time in the world. <laughs> That's for damn sure. Yeah, but, you know, the Segwit thing was nice. It basically involves one-to-many payments, which is a real huge relief on the uh, transaction sizes, right? Like, mm-hmm. So exchanges kind of bundling all their pay, their the withdrawals and stuff like that. So hmm. Yeah, I don't know. You know, and I think Samurai Wallet... Samurai, maybe Mycelium... Possibly Electrum that are running and you know starting to dabble in the Lightning Network. There's also uh, mixers. Uh, I think Samurai and Wasabi Wallet. I think Wasabi is um, an open source wallet that you can actually download and install from GitHub. If I'm not. Oh, okay. All right. You know, open source has advantages in in that all of the 
code is open and available to the public so there's um, a lot of people appreciate that in saying that well it's actually more secure hmm. because it has full transparency yeah and you know yeah. anybody can look and try to find mistakes or bugs and fix them and ah okay uh, and i think wasabi and samurai also have mixers i'm seeing more about it online and the mixer is a way that you can not be tracked by the bitcoin blockchain in a way like okay uh, if somebody is saying, okay, this Bitcoin went to Bob, right? And so you're Bob, and then you kind of send it off into a mixer. Then you have the Bitcoin. I think maybe, I don't know if you physically send it away and bring it back or if the wallets do that job for you. But right. essentially, that Bitcoin is no longer belonging to Bob. Okay. Like on the chain, right? So yeah. it's kind of like... You still have a Bitcoin. Maybe it took you multiple steps to get there, but now that Bitcoin is no longer tied to you. Ah, uh, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, huh. they're, they're working on making it very difficult for people to track where Bitcoin has gone. Where it's moving to, who's selling it, yeah. who's trading it, right? Okay. It's mixers, they pop it all together and then just mix it all up and then spit it back out again. Right, okay. So, I don't know how random it is. It's like, say someone stole an orange, but you and 5,000 people all have oranges. Who, who's got the stolen orange? Say you all sell your oranges to five different people. Right. So five people now own all the oranges. One of those five people is going to have a bad orange. And if it gets tracked, they'll say, well, that bad orange... You no longer own that orange. It's a it's a bad analogy. Yeah, I know what you're I know what you're saying. They though. say it's stolen. Yes. It's got to go back to where it was stolen. Get from. the example, right? Right. Where the mixer just like you said shuffles it all up and you never ever find out. Right. Something like that. Yeah. I haven't read enough about it, but it's kind of in that way. Right. Um, it's part of the reason why some people choose to buy Bitcoin directly from miners. Okay. They pay a premium for it, costs mm-hmm. more, but you know that Bitcoin is newly mined. It's not stolen and it won't come back right. to bite you in the ass later on. Right. Right, I see. Well, you, you scrimp and save forever and maybe you buy a half a Bitcoin or a Bitcoin, it costs you five grand, ten grand. Right. Who knows what, right? But it's a significant amount of money to yep. you. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you know, maybe half of your purchase, for whatever reason... Oh, we tracked it all, and that's a bad Bitcoin, so it's, we're taking it from you. It's gone. And you're not getting your money back. Right, right, <laughs> you know. Or yes. who knows? Nobody knows, right? Right. They're still writing the rules on all this crap. Well, uh, well, thanks for coming out again this week, folks, and uh, I hope you enjoyed some of our uh, technical talk about... It's not, it wasn't technical. Well, it's, well, it was technical for Bitcoin Roundtable anyway. All right. Uh, well, just, all right. It we're wasn't just trying technical. to see, you know, just trying to let you guys know what's going on up there and what's yep. coming up. Stay optimistic. Absolutely. I think it's going to be a good year this year. Here's hoping. Yeah. All right. Have a good night, everybody. Okay. Bye. Bitcoin Roundtable. Random musings and interviews about Bitcoin.